Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Culture Surfing Podcast. This is your host, Lance Robertson. I, along with Noah Aaron Neva, come to you weekly talking about the NBA. Uh, as you know, last week we did have a Dallas Mavericks uh, offseason podcast with the Athletics' Tim Cato. So this week we're actually going to be talking about the Los Angeles Clippers uh, with Shane Young. Uh, this gentleman is prominent and pretty much every basketball team, but last season he did seem to focus mostly on the Clippers. Uh, Shane, how are you doing today? I'm great, Lance. Uh, how are you guys doing, man? Because it's, it, you know, you would you would think that this offseason is just getting started, but really it feels like it's it's about to end short. <laughs> doing good, man. Doing good. And enjoying, enjoying uh, the quick break that we're going to have from the NBA from the sounds of it. The offseason is actually my favorite part, so I'm ready for it to get started already, man. I, I love getting into the offseason, and I get I get real tied up into all the rumors, and I'm the kind of I'm the kind of guy that gets like invested into some of it, hoping a lot of it happens. So I definitely enjoy this time of the year, and then obviously, you know, doing doing all the previews for when the when the season begins, and trying to figure out what's going to happen. It's probably my favorite part. Yeah, you have a lot of fans that are just strictly tied to the July free agency, and that's all they care about, really. I mean, and you can't really fault them because that's what drives all the all the narratives. That's what drives a lot of the conversation is where is Kevin Durant going to go? Where is LeBron going to go this year? Uh, I know 2016 was the year that I think started that. Like you, you, that, that three-day window of what in the world is Kevin Durant going to do to shake this up? And now we have – a bit of a boring free agency class this year, but, but some there, there's some trade uh, candidates that are out there that, that could actually shake up the championship window as well. So this is, this feels more of a, of a trade season than a, than a free agency season. Uh, I think next season is going to be 2021 is going to be where all the free agents, it, it's going to feel just like 2016 all over again. And, and the reason we talk about this is uh, there's rumors. And at this point it's almost seemingly, truth um that the board of governors meeting uh they are pretty much aiming for a december 22nd start to the nba season whereas i've heard you know february march and then of course the january uh, martin luther king day was a heavy um day that was proposed but now it's seeming like you know gonna get maybe a couple months rest and go right back to it um just from a basketball standpoint like on the court do you think this is a good idea, Shane? I don't. Um, I'm kind of with you. I think January 18th, somewhere in that range, maybe even, it, maybe you could even go uh, Valentine's Day weekend, less like All Star weekend, is, is would be a good time to start because it gives the Lakers and teams that went deep, the Nuggets, the Heat, Celtics, teams, teams that had championship aspirations, it gives them time to regroup, uh, time to get if if they make any roster changes, which I don't think a lot of those teams in particular will. The the, the teams that went far in the playoffs, um, it gives them chances to kind of uh, integrate their new guys and and get ready for the next season. But while we also acknowledge that on the court, it's not a smart idea because we're probably going to see more back to backs. If there's 72 games, Lance, that that kind of means that you have to scrunch together a lot of the games, if you want to end in April, the goal is to end the regular season in April or May and then get back onto the track of, can we start the playoffs and end the playoffs by August or July or or June, somewhere around there, like a normal timeline, then get back for 2022. And I think all the NBA owners 
care about right now is trying to get 21-22 back to the normal timetable so that they can make their money back on the back end. And if that's the case, then yeah, it's a smart move from that angle. But the players are not going to be happy if they're playing four games in five nights, two of those on the road, three of those on the road, um, many back-to-backs. Because if you remember that 2012 season, I know you all remember because I think Dallas started the season against the Heat that year um, on Christmas. And that that particular season had the most back-to-backs we've ever seen, probably more injuries than we've been accustomed to. Um, and I think you're opening up the you're opening it up for a lot more of the 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 bad knees the 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 torn ACLs. Now I'm not wishing I'm not predicting injuries in that sense, but you're definitely opening up the gate for more of that type of stuff to happen and players getting worn down. And for someone like LeBron, that's going to be 36 in a couple of months. He's probably not too thrilled about that. No, not at all. Uh, speaking of wear and tear, Noe, uh, you mentioned earlier that you do love you know the off season, the free agency. Uh, the draft and all that. I mean, this is going to just microwave the process and, and it's not going to be as fun, at least in my eyes. Do you, do you agree, Noe? Yeah. I mean, like a big part of what I like is like that frenzy, you know, like it used to be midnight and everything starts going all over the place. The internet starts losing their mind and, you know, the, everything just really goes from zero to a hundred. Right. Um, and there's usually a buildup towards that, but, the, the actual window opening is when things go crazy for the most part. I don't know that the change, you know, in the timeline would change that uh, as far as the, the off season goes, as far as player movement, right? Like all of that will probably still happen in one big bunch um, like it normally does. Now, as far as the, the, what, it, what that means for the players on the court, um, I agree with Shane, man. It's, it's a really short turnaround. You got to think about it. Even when we have a normal timetable, right, with the full off season and the games not being so compacted together in the schedule, we still have a lot of load management, right, going on throughout the season. Um, now, what and how would that translate to to trying to speed up that timeline and push the envelope there as far as the timing goes? You know, would definitely would would see a lot more of that, right? Because players inevitably. And teams included, you know, like owners want to make their money, but the teams still have their investments into those players. So it's it's not also not to their you know interest for these guys to go down with injuries. So I think really the ones that would pay the price would be the fans because we would probably see a lesser product on the court more often than not, whether it's because the players are just low on rest or because we're seeing a lot of load management and a lot of guys are just missing games. So I think you know, as much as the fans may want the league to come back. And I know like for me personally, a Christmas day start sounds like a whole lot of fun, but you know, the product of the court would definitely suffer in the long term for the, for, for the, for the season for sure. Well, uh, I know earlier we talked about uh, players not being happy to uh, get back to work so soon. I'll tell you who's probably happy to get back to work uh, to wash out some uh, nasty taste in their mouth. And that's the Los Angeles Clippers. And that's who we're going to talk about today. Um, Right off the bat, uh, the Tyron Lue hire, or Ty Lue hire, um, I kind of saw that one coming. It was kind of telegraphed. No, he's not a huge fan of Ty Lue. I mean, honestly, I'm not either, but I thought yeah. that made sense for a hire. Shane, you're closer to the team. Why Why is that great for the uh, Clippers future? I think I'm more indifferent on it than anything else. Uh, 
now it, it it's kind of impossible to be ecstatic for a coaching hire for the Clippers. So like who would have been better than Tyron Lue if, if they would have interviewed Dan Tony or Stan Van Gundy or maybe dust off Brett Brown from Philly. Like there's, there, there weren't a lot of options out there. You could have elected to go with one of the assistant coaches that are trying to make their, uh, try to improve their ranks this season. We saw the Pacers do that. The Pacers kind of wanted to get their own guy, the guy that's never been a head coach, just been on a, uh, on other benches that have won championships. They, the Clippers could have done that, but really you, you have to ask Kawhi, you have to ask Paul George, all the, all your, your prominent max, uh, salary guys that let's be honest, if the Clippers don't have Kawhi and Paul George after next season, then what's the point? So, so I think to keep them happy, you have to see, you have to gauge their interest, see what they want. And I, from all indications, it seems like Kawhi, especially, you know, to a lesser extent, PG, because I know Lance, you have your, your bones to pick with PG. So no, he's actually worse than me okay. about PG than okay. I am. So. Uh, Kawhi, <laughs> if he's, you know, Kawhi's the top three or four player in the world. You know, I think that's pretty unarg- inarguable. So if, if he's happy and he likes Tyron Lou, then I think that's what you have to go with. And it, it just seems like he was comfortable with having a guy that's been there. And I, I think the, the benefit of that is Ty Lue saw what went wrong. He saw what went right and he saw how to change things. And, and if, if you know anything about Doc Rivers, you know that he's stubborn. And I think the stubbornness people, people are saying, why can't our, or, you know, why hire Ty Lue if he was there and he still didn't change anything. Ty was right next to Doc and he didn't change anything. The answer to that is, even if he told Doc X, Y, and Z would have worked better, if he would have told Doc we should do this, Doc's not going to do it. Doc is going to stick with his laurels. He's going he's gonna to stay to what he knew from the 2008 days and from the 2014 days. Like This guy has been around so long that he's just not going to change things because his right-hand man said to do so. So I think getting rid of Doc, bringing in, and, and let's be honest, like Ty Lue's younger. He's, he is more innovative. Uh Something I keep going back to is in Cleveland, he had top five half-court offenses. If you just eliminate transition opportunities and stick to your half-court sets, he had top five efficiency marks in half-court offense with LeBron, yes. And that's that's LeBron and Kyrie. That's their magic. But you can't just say it's LeBron because the Lakers were 19th in half-court offense this year with LeBron as well. So I think a lot of it is Ty Lue's idea of five-out systems better spacing, better better uh, shooting options, uh, putting his guys in better positions, more screens. So I, I think it's a good hire. Um, I'm not like ecstatic about it. If I'm, you know, if I'm, if I'm a Clippers guy, I'm not like, oh my God, they're going to win the championship for certain next year. I think it just puts them in a better position because he's going to trust Zubats and Shamit and, and a lot of guys that probably should have got more playing time in that Denver series. He's going to trust them more than, than, than what Doc was doing, playing Montrezl Harrell 20 minutes against Nikola Jokic. And to a lesser degree, Boban Marjanovic, who roasted him repeatedly. Yeah. Um, with the Tyron Lue thing, too, um, you know, this this kind of goes back to LeBron James. There was, uh, you know, like reports of, like, heated discussions between him and LeBron. And usually you don't see a coach do such things. And I know people like to take that lightly, but I'm like, that's a big deal to have someone – go at LeBron being the face of the league and arguably like one of the most influential sports players of all time, you know, 
and being able to like say something and not get fired the next day is just speaks volumes to his influence uh, in the in the in the locker room or just on the bench in general. Yeah, no, for sure the market is really thin, right? Like there's just not a lot available there. You're looking at everyone's doing the same thing. I mean, Cam Cancel is being considered for head coaching positions, and you know, lots of other guys. That, I mean. The Van Gundy names both getting tossed around, and one of them actually getting picked up. Thankfully, it, Mark Mark uh, Mark Jackson's name always gets tossed around, but there's just not a lot of names out there where you'd be like, you know, oh yeah, that's significantly better, higher than Tyron Lue is. And as much as I am not a fan of Tyron Lue necessarily, it's not so much that I'm not enough a fan of him as much as I just don't think that. I guess the thing for me is like everybody's like, oh yeah, he's a championship winning coach, and to me, it's it yes, it the the, the statement is true. But there's going to always be a thing to me where I want to see it happen under different circumstances, right? Because it does feel like that situation was perfect and kind of like the Frank Vogel situation this year. It kind of makes you feel like, man, they could, there could have been a whole lot of people that could have played the same role yeah. and probably ended up with the same result, right? And and then Tyron Lue going into this situation with the Clippers, it, it, it feels like he's, in once again, being set up in a really good situation to try and get it done. That said, this is, I mean, until the Clippers win one, right, they'll still be the Clippers. So it is still going to be a bigger challenge than maybe, you know, a lot of people see it because a lot of people see the roster and and, and you assume that it's obviously a championship or bust, which it is for them, right? But it's not It's not necessarily an easy task. No, and, uh, you know, he's he's got his hands full because um, there's a lot that he has to deal with uh, between Kawhi, uh, Kawhi and his people, Paul George and his kind of sporadic play. Uh, in the postseason, and and just the next topic, not really having a point guard to depend on, um, and that was apparent in the playoffs uh, when Kawhi and Paul George just didn't have it. I mean, Patrick Beverly is not necessarily a prototypical point guard. Um, you know, uh, Reggie Jackson is definitely not the point guard you want to see. As in, you saw what happened with the Luca shot. Hey, I was gonna say Luca. Luca wants to see him. Yeah, Luka for sure. Him. That's that's definitely easy pickings, but uh. What can the the Clippers do with such a tight cap situation and pretty virtually no draft picks at their disposal to get a point guard? It's going to be hard. Um, I see. I'm kind of in the middle there as well. I hate to be the cop out guy all the time, but I don't necessarily think they absolutely needed a point guard because if you think about it, like. Patrick Beverly is not the the type of guy that's going to go north to south and get you wide open threes, going to get you to the line. He's not going to be the Lou Williams prime. He's not going to be the prime Lou Williams. Is what I'm trying to say, um, he's not he's not going to be the guy that's going to create buckets for you. But they played really awesome when he was on the floor. Like I mean, the the numbers when they had Pat Bev, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Marcus Morris, and Avika Zubats on the floor together were astronomical. It's just they couldn't seem to get enough minutes from that five-man group because Pat Bev had the calf injury that kept him on a minutes limit. I fully believe, like this is not making excuses, I I just think that it would have turned out this way. If Pat Bev would have been fine and didn't have that lingering over him, he would have been playing 35 a night, 35 minutes a night, and they they probably would have beat Denver in five. I mean, you you don't know how it's going to shake out on the court. But I do believe that they would have had the continuity to, to get past Denver. Then who knows what happens when we get to the Lakers situation. Uh, they outplayed the Lakers a couple games. Lakers got them back. So that could have been a, a coin flip as well. 
I think that they could improve there and get a point guard in there, and it's it's going to be tough because they don't really have a lot of cap room. Even if they let Montrez go, like they can't replace Montrez's money. We'll get to that. We'll get to the Montrez thing soon. But it's like they're going to be just kind of hard capped to to a lesser extent than than what we saw with Golden State, where Golden State really couldn't do any make any moves after they lost their guys in free agency or Kevin Durant free agency. Um, it would be the same way for the Clippers. So I think you have to hope a, a veteran point guard doesn't get picked up and decides to just ring chase, I guess, for lack of a better way, or, or go to a, to the Clippers and hope that he can get a title. And a guy like that would be like DJ Augustine. DJ Augustine is 32, I believe, 32 years old, and he was coming off a $7.5 million contract. He's a free agent this summer. If he wants to play, if he wants to continue his career, and he doesn't foresee a market out there where he can get big money, you know th- th- that could be an option where he signs for really cheap. Uh, but but again, that that's wishful thinking on the Clippers' part. If they got him, that that he's obviously a guy that can attack the paint and and create open looks for other guys. They kind of just need someone to take the ball out of Kawhi's hands a little bit more. So Kawhi's usage was about 32 percent this year. That's really high for him to also ask him to play exceptional defense as well. Um, it, it, it's it's just a tough ask, and I think if, if unless Paul George is going to be coming into this season with a different type of style where he can actually take over a lot of those responsibilities, I think PG wants to be more of a finisher and and a, a off ball shooter than a primary penetrator. So if that's the case, then yeah, they do they do need to get a point guard, Lance, of some degree. It doesn't have to be this. It doesn't have to be a top one hundred player. It doesn't have to be a top. 150 player. It could just be someone that's just middle of the road to get them into their sets when times get tough. And I thought they were really good against the Nuggets until those last three or four minutes. It's because Ka- Kawhi is tired. I mean, he's been carrying them offensively. And that's what I'm saying. They need someone, not necessarily to pound the rock, but just drive and kick. Just something, just something to let Kawhi breathe for a couple possessions. I think the hope, I think the hope is that Landry Shamit is better with the ball. That's not something I would bank on. I, I think Shamit is what he is. It's going to be a you know a, a type of JJ Redick archetype. But when you when they put the ball in, in Landry Shamit's hands, good things kind of happen. I mean, he got to the rim. He he was able to draw help. So I think they just want to kind of develop their own players and see if they can run it back. And I think that's what they're going to do. I think they're going to run it back and not really make major additions. But yeah, as much as I'm not a Rondo fan, someone like that would be ideal. I'm just not, I'm not a Rondo guy, so that's ironic of me saying it, but someone like that would have helped them. Yeah, and, and Noe, uh, I just want you to speak to this as well. There, there actually is some sleeper point guards on the market for the Clippers, uh, whether it be a trade or a bargain free agency. Is there anyone that you have on a list or just like one or two players that you're thinking of uh, for that roster spot, Noe? Yeah, to me, I actually I would prefer for them to run it back. Um, I think their biggest thing has got to be health and continuity. Um, like even during the regular season, this was the, the problem with having those starting five together. It wasn't just a playoff issue. They the whole season they they didn't have a consistency that I think is required to have smooth a smooth operating system in the half court sets, right? Because um, that's really kind of where all that practice time and all of the work that you've done during the season comes into play is, is in those half set uh, setups and I don't have court set. Sorry. And I don't think that they, they, they did enough time. And a lot of that can be attributed to doc. You know I mean? We obviously all of the, uh, 
they'll talk about, you know, how many practices the team had during the season. And then, of course, obviously they had some injuries and they had some load management. And there's so much of that to me, you know, ended up contributing to when you got into the playoffs, there isn't anything to run. And what do you go to? You go to give it to your best play and you let them ISO. And that's probably not a recipe for success if you're the Clippers, especially like Shane was saying, because every night in the playoffs, Kawhi is going to be expected to guard the best player on the other side of the court. And that's just absolutely exhausting. You cannot yeah. keep that pace up. It's just it's it's not the way to go. So I think continuity is probably going to be their best friend. That said, names like like what Shane was mentioning, DJ Augustine or, or Rondo, those guys – you, and I think the Clippers have a good chance of getting somebody like that in a bargain because those are guys that are specifically speaking towards Augustine. You know, he's older and maybe maybe tries to maybe takes the, the cheaper deal for the sake of trying to get on a team that could potentially bring him a ring. Um, so so maybe look at those options. Although my preference for sure would probably be to just run it back. I think I think there that that a lot of those issues with the point guard play were were more due to the continuity and the lack of practice that, that the team was known to have as far as their efficiency goes in those half-court sets. It, you don't want to just ISO quiet all the time. And that obviously a portion of that too is like they couldn't trust PG in the half-court set either. Um, and that that hurts as well. And that means that literally every ISO ball goes to one person and one person only in quiet. There's other names out there that are free agents. They're, they could be signed for cheap. Jeff Teague. I'm not a Jeff T guy, but you know, if if all you're asking for is is something better than what Reggie Jackson was doing, I think Jeff T might be able to do that. Um, and really, like, I think the move for Reggie Jackson was was something they did with that in mind. Like they did that to to fill that need, and it just didn't happen because Reggie was getting roasted on defense. So, do do you really want to bring in a point guard that can that can be a target on on defense like that? I think they're. I think I'm with Noah here. Like I think they're fine, and if you're one win, if you're if you're one half away from the Western Conference Finals without a traditional point guard, I think you're doing something right and you're fine. Uh, it, the big thing is Patrick Beverly is 31, 32 years old. I think now he might be 33. I'm, he's he's up there. If if he is going to have nagging injuries, they're not going to win the championship. They're not going to win the title with Kawhi and BG during this iteration of the Clippers, unless Pat Bev is out there for 70-plus games and in the playoffs. All right, well, I have a name, a point guard, but I'm going to save that for later when we talk about Lou Williams. So we'll, okay. uh, let's just let's just follow that for <laughs> later. Um, there is a name that, y'all, uh, that Shane brought up earlier, uh, and that's Subach, uh, a guy that I thought should have got a lot more burn in that uh, uh, the Nuggets series and, you know, Montrezl Harrell, most improved player of the year, you know, kind of, showed why he isn't an optimal, you know, starting center in a playoff uh, series. So, Shane, just give it to me straight up, man. Is Zubac going to be the starting center next season Oh, the Clippers? Without a doubt. The dude's good. The dude's good. Like, Zubac is good. I, I'm not even trying to be this, like, stand for the guy or something, but, I mean, it's hard not to whenever you look at some of his, his advanced numbers, you look at his impact on the floor – um, I'm, I know a lot of people are out there aren't the biggest like advanced stats people, and that's fine. They just want to go with what they see on the floor, and if that translates. But the guy had like the best the, the best impact numbers on the team, not named Kawhi Leonard. I mean, for by all accounts, he was the second most impactful player on the Clippers, and 
his rim protection numbers uh, for, for a team that didn't have rim protection to a lot of, you know, according to a lot of pundits out there, that was just blatantly wrong because when he was on the floor, not only did he, not only did he prevent shots from going in, not only did he, was he a good uh, efficiency rim protector, but the, t- the, the frequency, I think that's what is important to point out with him. When Montrez is on the floor, teams can, can go inside at will teams can get to their spots in the paint. Uh, we saw that with the Nuggets. We saw that with, with the Mavericks a lot. You know, when, when Dallas had their, uh, their bench unit, they just roasted them with Seth, with Seth Curry and, and uh, uh, help me out. Uh, Seth Curry. Trey Burke. I, I, knew, I knew it was Trey Burke. Yeah. When Trey Burke and Seth Curry got to the paint, I mean, most of the time it was because Montrez was in the game. And I think, I think whenever you put Zubats under the rim, he is just so fundamentally sound. And the dude's only 24, 23 years old. That's that's something to really bank on for the future. And I, I would not be surprised if this guy has another career year and he's up to, you know, 15 and 10 next year. I mean, I think he averaged like, you know, nine and and nine and eight or something. I mean, I think this guy can be a 15 and 10 guy as, as soon as next year. And then you don't really need your your top dominant center when you have someone that's grooming like that. I, I think I think he's going to be great. I I would not be surprised if if he's the the reason they win the title for lack of you know obviously Kawhi is going to be the, the the driving force. But if you're looking for someone that can eventually defend Anthony Davis, Zubats isn't there isn't there now. He's obviously not. I don't think he's bulky enough. I don't think he's a guy that's just going to be able to stonewall AD or anyone like that. But who knows? We've seen guys put on a lot of muscle. We've seen guys put on a lot of skill and really hone their skills over, over those years of 23, 24 years old. So yeah, he's going to be the starting center and he should be the closing center. He would, he was rarely the closing center until, until doc had no choice. So Ty Lue is going to make him the closing center. Yeah, Zubac, uh, he gave Jokic definitely the most physical resistance from what I've seen. And honestly, a lot of the fouls did. Yeah, well, a lot of the fouls that I noticed that he acquired in that series was like kind of top of the key off screens and him trying to fight, Mm -hmm. you know, Jokic. And I mean, some of those were 50-50 where Jokic probably flailed a little bit in those situations. So it wasn't like he was just making bad decisions defensively to where he got those fouls. I just think he was you know, fighting for position and things of that nature. And as much as I like Montrezl Harrell as a fantasy basketball pick, because, you know, (laughs) he gave me a lot of points. uh, He is just not the guy that you want in the last five minutes of the game. Because if you put him on an island on anyone, he's getting roasted. Down low, he's undersized. He's a pretty good rebounder, but he didn't really look all that great this past offseason. So, yeah. Zubac has to be the starting center. Yeah, do you also see Montrezl in that Denver series just – think that he could bulldoze his way through Jokic when when Trez had the ball offensively mm-hmm. and try to get under the rim. It didn't happen. And he even tried against Boban and Boban just like, sorry, it's not happening. Get out of here. Yeah. So I think I think Trez has way too much confidence. And that's not a bad thing. It's just like for those for those moments, for those high stakes moments that that make or break your whole season, I, I would not have him out out there on the floor. Yeah. No, would you have anything uh to offer? I know uh Zubach is I mean he's He's a really good quality basketball player, but of course his name doesn't ring bells across NBA media and just casual yeah. fans in general. And, you know, some of the, some of the stuff with, with him, you know, obviously like in the Denver series, it, dude, it doesn't matter who you line up on the other side, Jokic, you're going to struggle, right? Like it's, 
that's not fair to him or to anybody else to try. I mean, that go bear series in the first round with, with Jokic was fun to watch. But other than that, it's, you know, whoever you put on the other side of that is going to struggle. Uh, and, the, and he's young, you know, so, so the foul trouble, that's just, you know, Jokic being a smarter, more experienced player. And, and at that, a better overall player, you're like, you're, that's going to happen regardless. I think that, I think Ty Lue would definitely be a lot more traditional with his lineups. So for sure, I think he'll be the starting tenor. I think Doc is more of the player's coach and maybe to a certain extent, Montrez is probably more, if you're going to consider, you know, relationships and chemistry is probably better and closer with, you know, his stars players there, right? When you talk about Kawhi and, and MPG, but, Overall, maybe not the best fit, especially not for the team as it's built. You know, when when you you look at the Clippers, you know you're not going to be able to have a you know top twenty player at every position, right? Like this is not the way the NBA works. Zubac is more it's more than perfectly serviceable to to, to fill that role in that starting lineup for a team that could definitely be competing for a championship this year. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's no brainer that he's going to be the starting center. Um, I don't, I don't think Montrezl Harrell. Even if he returns, won't be. Imagine if the Lakers still had Zoo as a backup, yeah. or or to play with play with AD. <laughs> they gave him away for practically free, didn't they? I sure. mean, they they just let him go. They gave him away for for the mat for the the Lakers to have a better spacing core for that particular season when they knew they weren't going to win the championship. So they traded him away using short term knowledge and and gave away the future. It's crazy. Yeah. And they, I mean, they lucked in. Yeah, they got White Howard situation. And and, yeah, I mean, I don't want to say too much about the Lakers and poo poo on them, but yeah, the fact that the Clippers have uh, Zubach right now is is a travesty. Um, But uh, hopefully, they can uh, capitalize on it and see that he is the the guy to go to five uh, moving forward. Um, Speaking of go to um, last or off season, I just this guy. I remember when he was in Philly. People were talking about how how great he was going to be or how good he was going to be, uh, considering where he got drafted and, and whatnot. Landry Shamit, I I don't even remember him playing in the playoffs. I mean, I know he played about thirteen games, but I just don't remember. I really don't remember him playing or doing anything at all. And I was told that this guy is going to be a significant piece, like moving forward. Shane, tell me, yeah. was there was there like an alien injury? Was it a schematic thing, or was he just having an off outing? What 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 went wrong in the playoffs? Landry's had a lot of had a lot of issues with uh with staying on the court. Most of it is Doc not wanting to play Landry Shamit with Lou Williams. I think because every time you ask Doc about it, every time he was mentioned about it, he kind of gets defensive. He's like, "I'm not going to play Landry with one of our worst defenders, Lou Williams, probably our worst defender, Lou, Lou Williams. That's what he would always say." Uh, I, I want to try to minimize the minutes with those two on the floor. And really, like, how how do you get away from that? The only answer, if you're going to bring Lou off the bench, the only way to minimize those minutes is to start Shamit. And that's and I believe in that Dallas series, I believe that's what he did. He started Shamit whenever Pat Bev was out. And that really kind of separated the minutes where you... Because if you put Shamit on the floor with Lou Williams... Like whoever, it doesn't matter if it's if it's Luka Doncic or LeBron James, he's gonna pick that defense apart. Um, so his struggles are still with uh, fouling. Landry Shamit just, you know, I, f- I feel like he his answer to being uh, 
to being not aggressive is, is to foul on defense, and that kind of gets him into trouble. And then you need him on the floor for a spacing. And and when he's when he's in one corner and you have Marcus Morris in the other corner or you have Landry running off of screens, it really does give you the Reddick type of feel to it with, with those Philly days. And I, I, I think Shamit's going to have a really bright future. It's just how much is Ty Lue going to use him like Cal Corver was in Cleveland? where Corver got a lot of playing time whenever he really didn't necessarily deserve it because of because of the threat on the floor. I mean, LeBron would, would rather have Corver out there, even though Corver was like 35 at the time, 36, even older than that, because he knew that that defender in that weak side corner was not going to cheat off of him. And if Shamit can get to that level of, of really lights out shooting, then that's that's where the Clippers are going to be kind of unstoppable offensively. And I don't know if I don't know if people know this, but like the reason that it, he kind of disappeared, and the reason Lance you you don't remember him playing is because Shamit made like eighteen percent of his threes in that Denver series. It was like eighteen percent wide open shots. He bricked them off the back rim, um, and and he really he his biggest three was the one where he hurt his ankle. He had a he had a couple. Oh yeah, he had I a couple ankle that. injuries this year, and he hurt his ankle and still knocked down a three. So really, to answer your question, it's just the injuries kind of were erratic and, and kind of kept them off the floor in crucial times. But also, Doc not wanting to play someone like Lou and and Shamit together because that because if you even if you have Kawhi out there with those guys, it doesn't matter because Kawhi can start. We saw this at the end of the Dallas uh, game four. Like Kawhi can start on one guy, and then a switch comes. And it doesn't even matter who's out there on the floor. You're going to get picked apart. So that's probably the reason why it, it kind of felt like Shamit had minimal impact. Okay, so is it it's safe to say that uh, with Doc gone, maybe we will see a lot more of Shamit and he'll be more prominent in the offense this time around? Yeah, you might see more Shamit. You might see less of Lou if they can find a trade partner. <laughs> so uh, s- speaking um, of trade partner for Lou Williams, <laughs> I got, a, yeah, I got man. something for y'all here. Now, now just, just check this okay. out. So Patrick Beverly, package this. Patrick Beverly and Lou Williams, trade them both to the Suns for Rubio. What do we, what do we oh think of that? God. <laughs> uh, I think the Suns are going to be asking a lot of questions. And I think Booker would be asking a lot of questions because Rubio and I'll let you go, Noe, on this since <laughs> I think uh, I think he kind of stunned us both. I think he stunned us both on this one. I, I wasn't surprised. I, I wasn't expecting this. I think I think the Suns will be asking, why would we do this whenever Rubio is what really helped Booker create a lot of buckets off the ball? Uh, I think I saw my buddy who who said that. I think it was uh might have been Gerald Bourget, it might have been someone else, but Booker had the most assisted baskets of his entire career and a hundred plus of them came from Rubio this year. And that was more than every other player combined on the Suns that gave Booker the ball. It, it was, it was kind of remarkable the way we saw Booker transform himself. So I, I don't know if the Suns want to bring on Pat Bev for a couple more years of his deal. Uh, whenever you have Rubio that if he can, if Rubio is on the court, he's, he's pretty damn good. <laughs> Yeah, no, uh, go ahead and say your piece on this, and I'll kind of explain the reasoning of why for the trade. But yeah, go ahead and roast me or whatever you want to do or agree, whatever it is. The Suns front office is really, really bad. I don't think they're that bad, man. Like, <laughs> that's just disrespectful, man. Like, 
Why would you do that? <laughs> You're going to bring in Lou Will. Yeah, go ahead, man. Now we got two ISO players, right? Or if you want to if you, if you want to do it the other way around, right? And and put Pat Bev in. Just it you wouldn't get any kind of help at all out of making that deal. But if you're the Suns, like what do you benefit? Pat Bev's old, Lou Will's old. You know, neither of them is going to be around very long. And neither one of them is a good fit <laughs> with your star player. Um so while it does very it does sound like a very Phoenix Sun type move. I don't think that even they would do it. But there's more to it. Okay, so there's more. All right, so Lou Williams is obviously – Lou Williams is on expiring. The Suns could possibly flip that. If not, they just have money off their books. Technically, Beverly has a cheaper contract than Rubio, so they'll save a couple mil there. you got to think the Suns aren't necessarily the spending type all the time. And, I mean, look, I know the bubble of the Suns was great and all, but I think really – Next season, not this coming season. Next season is where they'll probably really reap the benefits of actually doing what they did in the bubble. Um, and yeah, I, and and Rubio for the Clippers to me, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, that that's kind of a no brainer. And just I I don't know, it's it's very rare that he's in these situations where he's playing with with like great offensive players such as Kawhi or Paul George. But yeah, I'm, I'm thinking the Suns they save money. You know, and Lou Williams, I wouldn't see starting. He'd be coming off the bench because that bench is of the Phoenix Suns. I mean, I think Lou Williams would still end up being the sixth man on that bench. So that's how poor it is. So that it's not like they're going to be totally screwed on that deal and they'd save a couple mil and have it expiring. But yeah, it's maybe not something that happens, but it's <laughs> something I would love to happen for the Clippers because that would I I love watching I, Rubio I and like winning situations and very few times in his career is he that player. Or that, you know, just in that situation. The hope might be that Beverly, like, really helps their defense. But I, I, to what degree? To what cost? You know? Like to see. I mean, my my goal scenario, like my ideal uh, hit the home run scenario is if they can find a way to package. And I, I think Bill Simmons even mentioned this a couple of times. It's not my original idea. But <laughs> if they can find a way to package and get Chris Paul. <laughs> to the Clippers again. Um, you had to give up a lot. You had to give up a lot of salary, but I mean, if you're going, if you're going all in for one title or two titles, Chris Paul has two more years on his deal this year, and next year. Um, you know, I, I think he's proven he could be a really good uh, spot up shooter and a really good leader. So it's, it's not going to happen. Chris Paul's not coming back to the Clippers, but if they, if they want to go for two championships before Chris Paul gets too old, that might be it. But you have to give up a lot of salary, a lot. All right. Well, at least you threw in the Chris Paul trade, so now I don't feel as bad as uh, <laughs> as what I said. <laughs> I'm just I'm rehashing what Bill Simmons said. And you know what? I, uh, Bill Simmons is is a legend, but man, sometimes his trade machine ideas. Although the one that he had was Zach Lowe, there was a couple of good ones, except for I'll say it, the PG for KP trade. I still don't understand. But uh, yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, so we talk about Montrez Harrell pretty extensively mostly uh, negatively, but, you know, he did have some horrible circumstances. He missed a lot of time in the bubble because he lost his grandmother. So, you know, he was away from the game. Uh, I believe he came back the for the first round. Is that when he first came back? Yeah, game so one. he was not ready game physically yeah. and probably not mentally. I mean, losing someone that close to you um, and, and just everything else surrounding the COVID situation. So I'm not going to sit here and say he's a bad player. He doesn't deserve money. 
But with what we we don't even know what the cap situation is going to be, and supposedly the season's starting in December twenty second. You know that's what the rumors are. <laughs> so what what how can we gauge what his market is, Shane? Do you have any idea what it could be? Hmm. Um. Before all right, so it, it kind of is sad to say this, but it, it's kind of it's kind of really sad to say that Montrez would have been better off just not even playing after March thirteenth. Just just staying at home, uh, saying that he doesn't want to play for COVID reasons, you know, yeah, like Avery Bradley. He, he would have been better off doing the Avery Bradley route because um, I think he might have gotten four years, 20 million, or four years, 20 million a year. So, sorry, 20 million a year, four years, 80 million. Um, I think he would have gotten that if, if, if he didn't show that he was a complete defensive liability and – his offensive touches were kind of selfish. I mean, I I don't think Montrez is a selfish personality. I think he he really cares about the greater good of the team. It's just when he gets the ball in short roll situations after he sets a screen, which by the way, he's not a good screener, not that good of a screener. Um, I think he could learn from Zubots in terms of the uh, holding screens and, and just being stronger and, and not really dashing to the rim immediately, kind of just letting his guards or Kawhi um, break free first. I think, I think when he uh, when he catches the ball in the middle of the floor, he rarely makes that pass. He rarely reads the floor immediately and hits that guy, whether it's Shamit Morris or whoever in the corner. And you kind of saw a lot of that when he cut, when he caught the ball. It was let, let me go straight into the opposing center. Let me try to get fouled. And for someone that's not a great free throw shooter, trying to get fouled like that, uh, you know, you're putting a lot of trust in the refs to call that and, and to get the other center in foul trouble. And, and it really happens that way. Uh, I, I think the market for him now, I, I don't know if you can give him 15 million a year and expect to expect to have a really good cap situation, expect to be a contender. So I, I think the Clippers will try and probably disrespect him. Uh, and that might end up, resulting in him leaving or asking for a sign and trade or something like that. I, I think they're going to try to get him for less than 15 and, and it's probably not going to happen because his agent is rich Paul and it, it's just not going to happen. I think he's going to be out of there and to a team like Charlotte a team, like uh, the, the Hawks would have been great before they got Capella. So I, a team that wants to pay an undersized center an energy guy, a guy that's going to lift up your culture like he, like he did for the Clippers in that one year. Uh, last year, um, I, he's going to get somewhere like four, four years or three years on a, like maybe a twenty million dollar deal a year, and and the Clippers shouldn't do that. All right, Noe. So I guess what I'm hearing from Shane is uh, Dallas Mavericks can give him an overpay, and him and Luca will oh. make up. <laughs> no, I'm just playing. Yeah, I I think you're about right, Shane. Uh, it's yeah, it just seems that he's probably going to be playing for a terrible team that's irrelevant, and we probably won't hear much from him anymore. But he'll have a lot of money in his pocket. That that is unless unless Ty can work his magic and kind of talk to him on the side and and you know kind of reassure him that things are going to be different. If if he and PG make up, you know that little spat they had against Denver, um, it it kind of just depends on the personalities with that team. I could see him coming back. Uh, I could see Rich Paul saying, look, no team wants to give you four years 80. So take the Clippers and, and win a championship or potentially win one. So I, I, I could see him coming back, but it, it, he would have to really swallow his pride. And I don't know if I don't know if Trez wants to do that now. So, Noe, what say you, man? You think he's going to 
get a bargain deal or do you think uh, he's looking for that uh, cash money? Kind of interesting. Well, for one, obviously, it's not a deep for agency, right? So there's not a whole lot of people that, that are really going to go out there and get like huge contracts. Um, they also don't know how teams are going to handle, you know, their money, you know, with the way that owners, especially in small markets, really suffered through the COVID shutdown. And then, of course, there's all the stuff that happened with China, you know, before COVID. There's a lot of stuff that's affected money in the NBA, and especially if you're a small market team like Charlotte, for example, or, or even other, you know, teams that may, that, you know, would be more tempted to overpay if they, you know, just to get a name in. But it's curious, and I'm curious to see how it kind of unfolds. Um, I think that Montrez's decision to leave or stay is very much going to depend on how the market unfolds for him, right? Because I do think that he's probably more likely to stay with the Clippers at a bargain deal than take, you know, you know, just a little bit more money to go disappear out in the NBA Siberia, right? Like, what what's the point of that? Um especially because he's not the youngest guy anymore. And maybe, maybe he's at the point of his career where he's trying to, you know, win a ring and, and get that done as opposed to just getting paid. But who knows? I, I don't know Trez well enough to know, you know, what he's about, but I know when he was the Clippers, you know, not too long before, you know, before the last season, right. He was definitely a culture guy. And I don't know that that kind of person wants to go and play, you know, for nothing that, you know, other than the money. Yeah. There's going to be a tight like tug of war here because what what did we just get done talking about? We got done talking about Zubats playing more time, right? And I think Tyloo wants that. I think Tyloo wants to play his his core five more minutes than Doc did. Uh, so you, Montrez could look at it like this is my last chance to get paid because I'm probably going to dip from what did Trez play? I want to say 28 minutes a game, 30 minutes a game. I could see him playing 23 next year or 22. And it's like, this is my last chance to get to bank in and get and cash out because next time I'm a free agent, I'm not going to have as many numbers. I'm not going to have as much production. It, it's, it's fascinating because Rich Paul is someone that is going to get his players paid and he'll advise him to, he'll advise player X, whoever that is, to leave their situation, even if it's a good situation for them and they like it there he'll advise him to leave just to get more money because obviously that, that helps the business. So uh, I, I'm kind of firm on him leaving, but I, I agree. No, he like it, it kind of just, we don't know his personality. We can't, we don't know what, what he's like. This is his first time being an unrestricted free agent. So we don't know. And you can't blame him for taking the money. Cause like you said, three or four yeah. years from now, he might be obsolete completely, not even just from like garbage minutes standpoint. Or he could Nerlens Noel type yeah, stuff, right? And see, you don't if you don't take the money, you'll be on a minimum deal for the rest of your career. You know, you don't want to do that. So I don't blame him if he takes the money. Um, but I just I just want to say that Mitch Kupchak, I believe, is still with the Hornets, right? So there's still a chance that uh <laughs> yeah. there's still a chance that Montrez Harrell gets a fat maximum deal. Uh <laughs> so you never know. Michael Jordan what Michael Jordan wants anything to be relevant. So, like, if he believes in his mind that having Trez and Terry Rozier on big deals is great for the for the culture of Charlotte, go ahead. Yeah, whatever. Whatever gets him paid, huh? So, uh, I want to talk about uh, Dallas Mavericks fans' public enemy number one, and that's Marcus Morris Sr. 
you hate you hate Marcus Morris. Like the <laughs> amount of the amount of hatred flowing on your Twitter timeline about Marcus Morris this playoffs has been crazy. A good player, but yeah, I mean, it, <laughs> some of the stuff reads Detroit Pistons from the '80s level of dirty. But uh, it's it you can't deny that the guy is really good, and he fit the the Clippers roster. Obviously, they needed someone rough. And someone that can actually shoot too. It's not just like he's yeah. just out there roughing people up and can't shoot. And honestly, there should have been times where he should have been playing the five. At least I thought more. So he's—I believe he's a free agent. Shane, do you, one, do you think he's coming? I can't deny that the guy is really good and he fit the the Clippers roster. Yeah. Obviously, they needed someone mm-hmm. rough and someone that can actually shoot too. It's not just like he's just out there roughing people up and can't shoot. And honestly, there should have been times where he should have been playing the five. At least I thought more so he's i believe he's a free agent shane do you one do you think he's coming back and two do you think he'll play extensive minutes at the five even if it's that's even if it's just like uh you know second tier lineups on the clippers yeah marcus morris is a non-bird free agent um they, they can only pay him 18 million a year or less they cannot go past 18 million um it's 120 percent of his salary it's the same as boogie cousins whenever cousins was with the warriors and they could have brought him back the next year, um, but they could have they could have only paid him like twelve million. It wasn't something you know. It, it wasn't something crazy. Um, I think I, I think they'll try to get Marcus Morris on like a two or three year deal for the same annual number he played at this year, fifteen. So if they can get that because Mar- Mar- Marcus Morris is not young. He's not a spring chicken. Him and his brother. Um, I think Markeith was in the perfect position, and and he's going to continue to play for the Lakers, I believe. So. Um, if Marcus can just stick there in LA and do the same role he was, he was performing at. And and I always poked fun at the people that thought, because I, there's a lot of them out there that thought they shouldn't have done that trade for Marcus Morris. So throughout the playoffs, I was always like Marcus Morris's usage. It is a career time low right now. And he's a career high shooting percentage, true shooting corner threes, everything. The guy was productive and he was not taking the ball out of his, out of the other players' hands. A, a lot of the criticism when he came to the Clippers or when he went to the Knicks was that this guy is just going to suck all the energy out of, out of whoever, you know, it, want to create off the dribble, think it's his team, think it's his show to run. He was perfectly fine planting in the corner, um, you know, moving up to the wing whenever uh, drives occurred and, you rarely saw him drive into the paint with, with a lot of bodies around. Um, whenever they needed him to, he created mid-range jumpers. I think he was probably the second-best mid-range shooter on the team behind Kawhi, uh, which is saying something because PG struggled there. And at times, he was the, at times, he was the second-best player on the team. Marcus Morris was. So I think he'll be back. And the biggest thing for him is just... I think it's it's tempering down that that attitude, tempering down that aggressiveness. And you don't want him to be soft. He's never going to be soft. But you also don't want him creating situations where it riles up the other team. It got Luka Doncic going. You don't want that. It got Paul Millsap pissed off. You don't want that, apparently, because because Millsap came, came through and, and just destroyed them in Game 5 to extend the series. It shouldn't even went to 6. And it's just you you kind of want to limit that. And it, it really, you could say having more opportunities with Kawhi, he'll kind of learn. Marcus Morris will learn to adjust and, and be calm. I'm not going to trust that that happens, but you, you have to assume that playing with Kawhi will do that to you. Um, 
I think he'll be back. I think he'll be good. He got a lot of hate from a lot of people, and I can understand that because he runs his mouth a lot, but his play on the court was was fantastic at times, average at others, never bad. So, Noli, with a smile on your face, say something nice about Marcus Moore Sr. I actually, if he doesn't stay with the Clippers, want the Mavs to take a flyer on him, man, because he's exactly what the Mavs need. Um, they need a dog. They need, uh, you know, somebody to play some defense. <laughs> he's actually, honestly, he's a good fit for the front for, for the Mavs. And now I don't know how practices between him and Luca would look like, but he's actually kind of what the Mavs should be looking for. Um, so if you want me to say something nice about Marcus Morris is if the Clippers don't keep him, I want the Mavs to take a flyer on him at least. Boom. And, and, and see, the thing is we saw, no, go ahead, Shane, go ahead. I'll, I'll say my piece after. Like. I, I was gonna say about the Luca thing, the ankle, like the ankle step on that he did, or when Marcus Morris stepped on his ankle, that angered me less than slapping the hell out of Luca on the drive and just staring him down. I was will, I was willing to believe Marcus that it might not have been intentional to step on the ankle in that game five, um, but in game six when he just just clobbered them and then looked at them for about five seconds. I was like, okay, yeah, flagrant one. I was like, okay, I immediately go to your page or, or you're on my feed. So I immediately like, what, what's Lance going to tweet? What's Lance going to tweet now? Yeah, no, I <laughs> Marcus Moore Sr. as a Mav makes sense. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense, I think. I mean, he, he'd be a good fit for what the team needs, right? Because the team is soft defensively and at closing. Will they pay on that? No, I don't think so. I don't think they would. That's And that's probably why he yeah. wouldn't he wouldn't be an option. Um, I, I'm just saying hypothetically as a fit, he'd be, he'd be a good fit. As far as that whole, uh, accidental stempling on ankles thing, that dude, that's no accident, man. Listen, <laughs> you are, yeah, a, you're right. You're right. He was on an Island with Luca's ankle and he stepped right on it. The so thing he knew where like, it was at. I, I don't know. Right. I don't, to the listeners, I don't know how much you guys play, you know, actively play sports or, or, you know, if you don't now, maybe at some point, but when you are a pro-level athlete, you are pretty well in control of your body for the most part, right? Like, there are some people that are clumsy. Marcus Morris is not that guy. Um, he is very much in control of what he's doing. Um, and things like that, It it not only was it not accidental, it was targeted. Um, just, I, yeah, no, don't take that story somewhere else. I'm not buying it. I don't think anybody else should either, regardless of – his, you know, history and whatnot. It's just, it's just a poor excuse. It's, it was most definitely yeah. intentional and targeted. Yeah, I, I, I'm, so I, I guess Lance, I'll, I'll just say, yeah, I, for the most part, this team, and I, I know it's, that's kind of the boring answer to say they're gonna be the same team construction wise that they were last year, and that's not what an offseason podcast is all about. You want to do trade ideas and stuff like that, but for the most part, I think this team is gonna look the, the same. Um, just approve on the margin. That's what I always say. Like the Nuggets, I don't think the Nuggets seem to make wholesale changes. I think they need to just improve on the margins. If they would have Will Barton, who knows? They, I still think they lose to the Lakers, but you can't like just because you lose in the playoffs, it doesn't mean that you need to re- reinvent everything. The, the Clippers lost in the second round to a team that was better cohesively. Just get better cohesively. That's that's what I say for the Clippers. Just get more together. And, and you could probably win the championship. And I think the Western Conference winner is going to be favored every year, no matter what, it just seems like. So I don't think they need to do too much. Uh, it seems like Ty Lue has none of the control. 
and we'll, I'm sure we'll we'll reconnect during this uh, during the season to see if it's going poorly or if it's succeeding. <laughs> uh, Shane, I just want to me and I want to thank you for coming on today. Uh, I knew you were going to bring some great insight, and you're you know you're never one to make narratives or take narratives. You just talk about what's on the court, and I do appreciate that because it's easy to get sucked in the narrative hole. So, uh, oh, yeah, man. but yeah, man, I, I didn't mention earlier, but uh, Shane does write for Forbes Sports. And he also has his own podcast called The Putback and it actually has some familiar names, people and writers that you've probably read or seen interviews uh, for. So, Shane, go ahead and plug away, my friend. Oh, yeah, man. I, you you pretty much got it covered. Just writing for Ford Sports right now um, kind of took a hiatus for the last month or two. I'm kind of like just trying to chill out. and it, You know, writer's block gets you. I'm sure everyone knows that. Uh, but right now I'm kind of working on ranking the last 20 NBA champions. Um, because the cause the Lakers bubble run has kind of given me an idea like where do they really fall? Are they one of the worst championship teams we've seen in the last dec- two decades, or or near the top? Uh, so I'm kind of starting that now, and it'll be out next week. Uh, I think November first, something like that. So kind of doing that, and then the podcast we we we, ah, we record once a week. So look for that, the Putback Pod. It's me and three other buddies. Sweet. All right. Uh, thanks once again for coming on, uh, Shane. Oh, did you have anything to add before we get out of here? No, nah, man, I'm good. Uh, every, everything as far as the Clippers goes is going to be interesting next season for sure. I think, like, like we both agree. I think um, they just need the continuity. They need the time, the practice time, and and they need to have some consistency in that starting lineup. Well said, gentlemen. Well, uh, before we get out of here, guys, no, thank you so much, Shane. Hopefully, I have you uh, back after you know the season starts in about a month and a half. <laughs> But uh, with that said, y'all, it's been a great podcast. Uh, Everybody, make sure you go on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe. Tell us what we're doing great. Tell us what we're doing, you know, poorly. If you hated me because I did the Rubio trade proposal, that's fine. Let me know why it stinks. But yeah, y'all have a nice day, and I'll see y'all next week.